Well, hey, we're actually in week two of our current series right now, simply called Things That Jesus Didn't Say, because I don't know about you, but I think this is true for us all. There are many things that we can often think that are true in our Christian faith that actually, when you start to investigate and look into what the Scriptures really say, what you find is, well, actually, Jesus didn't say a lot of that stuff at all. And there are certain topics that make it so easy for us to kind of like just go off piste in our Christian faith when we employ a way of thinking that actually is totally outside the box and often a million miles away from the things that Jesus said. So Dave kicked us off fantastically well last weekend and we started to look at the theme that he spoke about. But today I wanna jump into the New Testament in just a moment and start to explore something that I think if we're honest, it's something that affects us all. I mean, actually when we think this way about the thing that we're going to talk about today, it can be really bad for our faith life. So we're going to get there in a moment. But before we do that, I've just got a couple of questions that I want to throw out right now. And nobody has to like give me a signal or a raise of the hand, but I'm just asking you because I think that in this auditorium today, there is going to be amongst us some fitness enthusiasts. You know, kind of like, you know, at one point you've had the shell suit, you've had the headband, you've had, you know, all the gear and you've kind of decided at some point in your life that you were going to give like the health trip a try. You know, you were going to like eat clean, eat super healthily and you're going to get involved in a gym and you're going to kind of just try and lose some weight, get your cardiovascular activity right up. And many of us know what it's like at some point to just put renewed effort and vigor into our physical health. Now, I wonder how many of you, maybe it's not something that you've done recently, but at some point in your life, have ever felt so passionately about this idea about I'm just going to get fit, that maybe you bought yourself a running machine like this. You know, you went to Argos and you were kind of like, get me the York 5000 running machine master. And you were like, if I just had the running machine, then um, I would just get so super fit. I'd lose two and a half stone in weight overnight. It would just be incredible, right? So you got the running machine. And um, at one point, actually, I bought my wife a running machine for Christmas. That went down really well. Not. But um, we bought this running machine. We eBayed it, like literally a week later. But what we found about the running machine was um, it was really awesome at hanging your clothes. I mean, honestly, it was like the best portable clothes hanger you could ever buy. I mean, it costs hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but the coat hangers, they just seem to fit perfectly around that frame on the edges. And um, it was just a fantastic way to store your clothes. But maybe you're not the runner. Maybe on your journey of trying to aspire to a greater level of physical health, maybe you're the rower. So again, you went to Argos and you bought the most fancy rowing machine that you've ever seen in your life and you played Chase the Shark for all of seven days on that piece of kit. And now when you were socializing and people would say, you know, oh, what do you like to do outside of work? And now you say, well, I row a little. You row? Wow, that's so incredible. Like Oxford, Cambridge style? Yeah, sort of like that. Yeah, I'm a rower now. And you've had the thing for like seven days and soon enough you get fed up of playing Chase the Shark. So maybe you get rid of the rowing machine. 
But again, in your pursuit of just a better level of physical health, then you move on to like the multi-gym. Now, the multi-gym is a really interesting piece of kit because I can honestly say um, they are without a shadow of a doubt It is the best doorstop you could ever have in your house. If you've ever got one of those like fiddly, finicky type of doors that just need that bit of extra support in staying open, then the multi-gym is perfect for that, right? I mean, when I didn't use it to keep the door open, I just used the bench to store boxes, DVDs, CDs, and like you look at me like, that's such a waste of a multi-gym, but you were probably the same. It's like you get these things, and you believe that this is going to change your life. I mean, this is just going to revolutionise you from zero to a physical body that resembles that of a hero overnight. And yet it just doesn't seem to last all that long. Yet you believe in it wholeheartedly. Or what about the good old ab cruncher. I mean, without a doubt, the funniest looking piece of kit you can ever have in your house. And the strange thing about the ab cruncher is um, this thing, they're like hell on earth, aren't they? Because like, it makes your insides feel like you are absolutely on fire. But what's more frustrating than the pain it brings to your abdomen is, is without doubt, the most awkward piece of equipment to store. I mean, what's really mad about the ab cruncher is that so often you'd go to people's houses and typically what you'd find in the living room is the TV, the coffee table, the couch, and in the corner, someone has tried to discreetly place the ab cruncher because it won't fit in a cupboard, you can't fold it down easily, and there's this random piece of kit just in the middle of your living room and you're like, what is that about anyway? And the truth is that we all believe that these pieces of equipment can do you some good. But believing that these pieces of equipment can help you lose weight, can help you get more toned, can help you bulk up and get massive, if that's what you want to do, believing that these pieces of equipment can actually help you do that is great but it doesn't help you do that at all. It's only when you start to act on what you believe and use the equipment right and well in the way that it was designed to be used that it will ever do you or your body any benefit at all. And one of the most frustration uh, parts about kind of like working out at home, I think, or you know, trying to get fit and trying to get healthy in your own home is this. I find that it's really hard to stick to something and be faithful to something and continue on your journey of something when you're doing it on your own. I mean, it's really hard to work out in isolation. And here's the problem, because the moment you feel just slightly tired, you can just get off the multi-gym and like nobody will even know. And yet it's completely different if maybe you're going to the gym and you're training with somebody because now you've made that agreement that they're gonna be there at the same time as you. You have to be there. You can't just give it a miss. You can't just skip it. You can't just get out of it. But when you choose to be accountable to somebody, when you choose to do life 
together in terms of your physical health with somebody else, it really helps you build good and strong and healthy habits into your life that perhaps without having the someone, you would never even accomplish on your own. It's just so much harder to leave somebody standing at the gym when they're depending on you being there also. But I think that that truth is probably the same for many things that are good for us in our life on a whole. There are many things that are really good for you that we all believe in. I mean, take for example, losing weight. I mean, if you ever wanna lose weight, we all believe, I think the general consensus would be, like you've just gotta cut out certain types of food. I mean, we all believe that it would be the wise thing to do to let the dessert tray pass round, right? It would be the wise thing to do to just have two courses rather than three. It would be the wise thing to do to not have the sugary drink, but instead drink water. It would be the wise thing. And we don't have any problem at all in believing that that would be really good for us. And yet, doing it is incredibly difficult when the cheesecake comes round in the restaurant. It's kind of like, oh, what the heck, I'm all in. Like, give me double portions, you know? Load my plate, and I don't care what anybody thinks of me, I'm going there. Especially if it's gonna be like Oreo cheesecake. It's like, of the Lord, it's just anointed. When you eat that, you feel close to Jesus, it's true. But the truth is this, right? Even when you go on a diet, How much easier is it if you're gonna diet with somebody else in your house? Like to whom you can be accountable to, someone else that's gonna be on the same journey as you, somebody else that not only believes that going on a diet would actually be helpful, but someone that's gonna actually do it with you. I mean, isn't that just so much easier than trying to do it solely on your own? And I think that that's the big difference. There's a huge difference in believing in something being good for you and actually acting and doing and responding to what you believe. I mean, there's such a gulf between believing and doing. And it's the doing that's really hard. It's the doing that's incredibly difficult. It's the doing what we believe that at times we all struggle with. And this is no different to our faith life either. I mean, when you think about our Christianity, this is exactly the same for each and every one of us. I mean, many of us gathered in this auditorium today will all have a set of belief systems that we hold to, and yet at times, it will feel like this is really hard to do and live out. I mean, we can all believe that following God is right and following Jesus is a good thing, but at times, doing it is just hard. And I'll tell you what makes it all the more harder when you try and do it on your own. I mean, trying to follow Jesus on your own, in isolation, I mean, that is just difficult. You know, I think that there is perhaps a theme that exists in the time that we live in, in our culture, especially in the Western world and definitely here in the UK, that is maybe like sweeping through people of faith and it's a way of thinking that actually is really detrimental and yet it comes into our way of thinking packaged in such a way that makes us think that this would maybe be something that Jesus would say. 
I think that perhaps because of the way in which the growth of the internet, social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all of those things work together today, it can kind of impregnate the way we all think about how we follow Jesus. And I'm not against any of those things. In fact, I like all of that. It's good. It can be a great tool that we use in the life of church. But it does create a problem whereby we can be also technologically connected and yet at the time personally isolated. There are so many people now that are so engaged in social media, which is a really funny title for what it actually is, because if there was ever a title called social media, you would not want that to relate to the very things that are, in essence, the most unsocial platforms that you can ever walk on in your life. Because Facebook is all about friends that actually you're not connected with at all. So is Instagram, and so is Snapchat, and so is Twitter. You've got a thousand friends, great. How many of them, like seriously, how many of them know what your favorite food is? How many of them know where your favorite restaurant is? How many of them know what you're going through in your life? And this creates this idea that actually, because of the way we can live life feeling so technologically connected with everybody that it leaves us being really personally isolated, it creates this idea, this way of thinking that maybe... Church isn't all that important anyway. I mean, it's amazing how many people, and maybe you've had these kind of conversations too. So many people now will say things like, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch church online. And again, I'm not against any of that because even we do it as a church, but we try and ensure that the people that we reach online are people that are considering one day coming and checking out church. And we have that happen so often here at Liverpool One Church. Someone will stop us and say, you know what? I've been really nervous about coming to church. I've never been to church before, but I've been watching every single one of the talks online and now I've watched them all. I wanted to come in person and see what it's really like. That's why actually we do all of that stuff. But in essence, in light of what's out there now, it's so easy to kind of say, hey, you know what? I don't think church is all that important because um, I can stay connected. Like I can still stay connected in my Christian faith. I can still follow Jesus because I can just watch the latest, greatest preacher online, and I can do church at home. I mean, someone said to me, you know, a couple of years back, they were like, you know what? We, um, we don't really like doing the whole church thing, so now what we do is we put a message on in our kitchen, and on a Sunday, we just have church in our own home on our own. And I'm thinking, at the same time as this girl was saying this, I'm just thinking like, yeah, but you, you completely misunderstand what the church actually is when you only do church in isolation and on your own and without people walking this journey of faith out alongside you. And I don't think that for as amazing as these technological advancements are, I don't think that even Jesus would ever say that there's a problem with them, but I don't think that he would ever say that they were designed and created to be a replacement for the very thing that he gave his life for, being the church. I spoke with a guy a couple of weeks back, and he just made this statement about how he really wanted to follow Christ, but he was passionately against being part of a church. And I'm thinking, like, wow, like, how does that happen? 
Like how does somebody sincerely wanna follow Christ but yet be so adamant that actually being involved in a local community of believers is just not for them? Because I just think that that just doesn't relate to the scriptures that we can read and you can all read this and we're gonna jump there in just a short moment. But I do understand that there are many reasons that we can all find to maybe not be a part of a local church. There are many reasons that we can all find to not be committed to a local church. And I totally get it. I totally get it because sometimes church really does get in the way of people's relationship between them and God. I I totally understand it because some people like, you've been to church and the reason why you don't wanna go back to church is because you've already been once and you've seen what it's like and you're like, no way, that is like just crazy. Or maybe you've met someone that's a Christian and the fact that you've met them is actually the reason why you don't wanna be around them because they've said some stuff and they were hurtful, never helpful. And it just felt like, man, they're just so cruel and they're mean and judgmental. And like, I get it. And so much of me kind of like agrees with you. And I'm like, I understand that. I get that tension. Sometimes people don't wanna go to church because it's just drop dead boring. And they're kind of like, yeah, this sucks. I don't understand anything that's going on. I don't get it. I don't relate to the language. I don't understand anything. And and I understand all of that. For some people, they say, well, I don't wanna go to church or commit to being a part of a local community of believers because uh, there's nothing there for my kids or there's nothing there for my teenage daughter, or maybe it's because like you don't really like some of the songs that are sung and it's not down to your particular preference, or maybe it's too loud, or in the case of today, far too quiet with all the PA broke, and you're just like, yeah, this church is useless, this is crazy, like it's just not for me. And that's why, like honestly, if we were to go around this auditorium and, and list out our reasons to not be a part of church, You could write a list, I could write a list, and many of the reasons to not be a part of the thing kind of make sense, and I kind of get it to a certain extent. But that's why we say, look, we're never gonna try and be something that we're not at Liverpool One Church. Like, we don't stand up here trying to make out that we're perfect and we've got it all together. In fact, we're really honest and open and say, we're the biggest bunch of screw-ups going. We are completely imperfect, but we follow a very perfect God who for a reason that I struggle to explain, wants a real and authentic relationship with each and every one of us. But the idea that church isn't really all that important, it does create a problem. It creates an incredible tension for us to manage. Because here's the thing, you can find Jesus on your own, but you can't follow him on your own. You can find him on your own, absolutely yes, but you can't follow him on your own. In the New Testament, there is this story And it's about a conversation that happens between Jesus and his disciples. It's referred to as the Last Supper. It was the last meal that Jesus was having with those that were closest to him. It was those that had placed all of their trust within him. It was the followers of Christ that had traveled with him when he went from town to town doing miracles, signs and wonders. And they're having this last meal together before Jesus knew that he was gonna be taken to the cross and his body would be crucified. So at this last supper, at this last meal, 
Jesus is now wanting to impart some information into those that were closest to him that he felt was going to be most important for them to know before the crucifixion took place. Jesus started to engage in this conversation where he was going to be passing on some of the most key and vital ingredients and information that he knew they would have to know if this thing called the church was ever going to work. Now, remember for a moment who is in the room. It is his disciples. It it is those that were followers of Christ. People that would have said, you know what, I I, want to be like Jesus. I want to follow the way. I believe that he is the son of God, the only one and only son. And I believe that he's worth giving my life towards. So that's the group of people that Jesus is speaking to around the table at this last supper. And this is what he says in John 13, verse 34. And he's telling them again about what is most key, most significant. The one piece of information that they cannot not know as they embrace all that is ahead of them in their future. And he says this, a new command I give you. So now he's saying, listen, I know that you've got a bunch of rules that you've been following previously, but this is what's most important from this point on. A new command I give you, love one another. Note that word. Highlight that word if you've got a Bible in church. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Again, remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to those that were already in. He's speaking to those that had made a decision to follow Christ. He's speaking to those that were saying, I want to be a Christian. And Jesus was saying to them, well, here's the thing. If that's what you really want, you've got to understand something. That your faith life is not only vertically driven. It's not only about your prayers that go up to God. It's not only about what you believe and how you trust God and where your faith is and how you place your faith in God. Jesus was saying, that's not how this faith thing works. He was saying that you've now got to bring to the top of your agenda, the top of your criteria in terms of how you prioritise your life, the way in which you treat those that are horizontally connected with you. He was saying that Christianity, being a follower of the way, being a follower of Jesus, is not only and solely about you you and God, you and God. It's about the people that are in your world also. And now he says, I want you to be intentional about the way in which you treat those that are around you. Now he's saying, I don't want you to leave this to chance. I want you to plan. I want you to scheme. I want you to prepare and think ahead of time about ways in which you can love one another. Now, again, just to reiterate the point, He's speaking to those that were followers of Jesus. He's saying this, you've got to love one another. And verse 35, he goes on, he says, by this, in other words, as a result of you doing this loving one another thing towards those that are also in Christ, now he tells us what the consequence will be, what will happen as a result of you choosing to do and not just believe what Jesus says, but now do and respond to the thing that we claim that we believe. He says, by this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, he's saying this, guys, look, 
It's awesome that you pray to God our Father in heaven. It's awesome that you trust Him. But by the way, do you know that people will know that you're my disciple, not by the way that you relate to God, but actually by the way that you relate to other Christians in your flock? Do you realise that there are going to be other people in your world and the way in which you treat them is going to be the way that people will know that you are a follower of mine? So Jesus was kind of saying, it's massively important regarding the way in which you interact with other people. You can't leave it to chance. But here's the real problem. When we think that church isn't all that important, when we kind of think, hey, you know what, church is that thing, I'll just kind of like jump in there once a month, I'll just kind of like go and be part of that thing and live life on the peripherals of the church and never really get involved. When we think that church isn't all that important, when we think I don't really need that whole life group thing and being accountable and having friends and family and people speak into my life, when we think that church isn't all that important, we miss out on the very thing that Jesus valued as being most important to him. He was saying the real church, which by the way is not about buildings, it's about people. He was saying the way in which you connect with other people is the most important thing. In fact, the idea that you can find Christ on your own is true, but you cannot follow him without there being a community of believers around you. You cannot do it, you won't make it. So Jesus is like, the way in which you love one another is so important. You know, it was so important to Jesus that almost all of the other New Testament writers picked up on this concept about the way in which we treat one another being so fundamentally important to our Christian faith. Check this out, and this is just a few one another's that we have to value if we say we follow Christ. James 5 tells us to pray for one another. James 4 tells us to speak well of one another. 1 Peter tells us to be hospitable towards one another. 1 Thessalonians tells us to comfort one another. 1 Corinthians tells us to encourage one another. 1 Peter tells us to bless one another. So here is the problem. If church is not all that important, where do you get to one another, one another? And if one anothering, one another, was so important to Jesus, it has to be important to us too. So we cannot buy into the idea that maybe church isn't that all important because Jesus never said that. He said that actually the way that you are with other followers of Christ means so much to God and so much to people around you in your world also. So there's an author in Hebrews 10, and we don't know exactly who he is. We suspect that it may have been Paul, but some of the latest theological work would actually suggest that it wasn't in fact Paul. So the author remains unknown, but he feels so passionately about this idea as well that he speaks into it too. So let's jump there. Hebrews 10 verse 23 tells us this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another, right? So even this writer is getting on to one anothering, one another being a really significant thing in our Christian faith. 
And he uses this word spur, which is kind of a strange word to us because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, really. But the idea is, is like that of a cowboy riding on a horse. You know, they wear these like great big leather cowboy boots. And then on the back end of their boot, there is this like sometimes like a star studded shaped piece of metal. Well, that's called a spur. And anybody that was riding a horse with these spurs on the back end of their boots, they would use these spurs to gently kick them into the side of a horse when maybe the horse felt like it just couldn't go any further, but its rider wanted it to keep going. It would give it a kick and it would spur the horse to go on. Or maybe when the horse is starting to slow down, the rider would give it a bit of a kick and it would spur the horse on to go faster. Now, I know what I've just told you right there. And some of you have been waiting for me to say this your entire life, that now it's okay for you to come to church and kick other people so long as we're spurring them on for Jesus. You can give them a good friendly kick in if you feel that it's required. But the writer of Hebrews was kind of saying, it's our job to spur one another. Sometimes you're going to be doing the spurring. Sometimes you're going to be receiving the spurring. But he says, it's our job. It's our responsibility to spur one another. But he doesn't say on towards any random regular thing. He makes this statement, on toward love. Well, that makes sense because that's what Jesus said. Love one another. Now the writer's saying, spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And it's kind of like the author's way of saying, look, It's not what you believe that's gonna make the difference in your faith life. It's what you do with what you believe that's gonna make the difference. So the idea of saying, well, church isn't all that important. I can just stay vertically connected with God on on his own. It kind of goes completely against what the scriptures teach. He's like, it's just not the way that it works. It's almost like the writer would be saying, so if you try and do your Christian life all on your own, If you try and do it in isolation, like seriously, like when you're out of line and when you're being mean and when you're being cruel and when you're speaking in a certain way that you don't even see that you're speaking like that, who's gonna come alongside you and say, hey, listen, that's not gonna be helpful to you. Neither is it gonna be helpful to the recipients who hear you speak like that. Who is gonna come alongside you and say, listen, I know that what happened to you was so unfair and it was so harsh and I wish it was different, but it's not. But you need to forgive them because that's what the Scriptures teach. Who's gonna do that if we think that church isn't all that important and we can do it in isolation? Who's gonna encourage you to apologise when you need to apologise, but you don't want to because we're all prideful anyway, right? Who is going to spur you on in that way? So the writer now goes on to kind of say, look, it's such a big deal. You've got to now make sure, verse 25, that you don't end up giving up meeting together. So now he's kind of saying, look, no, no, I understand it, that the general consensus in society today can be like, well, church isn't all that important. Like I can just follow God on my own. I've got Instagram, I've got LGTV, I've got like this message on my podcast. I can just do church in my kitchen on my own. I don't need to like get horizontally connected with anybody anywhere. I can just do it all in isolation. Well, the writer here was going, no, that's crazy. Whatever you do, don't give up meeting together because he knew this is where you get to one another, one another. He was saying, look, 
This faith deal that we're involved in, it's not like a you and God type of deal alone. It's a you, people and God type of deal. It's a you, people and God kind of faith that we follow. You won't make it on your own. He was saying, look, whatever you do, don't give up and quit on church. Like, don't make it the place that you visit once a month. Don't choose to not be part of a local community of Christ followers. Because if you choose that, when you go through the storms of life, who's gonna walk alongside you? When your life isn't on the mountaintop and it is in fact in the valley, who's gonna carry you through in the times and seasons that you need carrying? Who's gonna encourage you that you may be battered and you may be bruised, but thank God that you're not out because there are people alongside you, encouraging you and spurring you on to keep going when you feel like quitting, to keep you running faster when you feel like slowing down. And he goes on and he says, look, some people, they're in the habit of doing this. And he's just spelling out what we already know. He's going, look, I understand it. I understand it. Many people have a habit of kind of like not making church that, that much of a big deal. But he's going like, guys, don't do that. And I understand it, that many of us communicators have not helped because what we have done with passages of Scripture like this in Hebrews is we've made this out to be something that it's not. We've tried to use these Scriptures to try and use it as a way to, I don't know, armbar people into staying in church. We've tried to use it as a way to kind of like scare people into like, you must be in church because it makes us communicators feel better when we see full rooms and auditoriums. But let me tell you, I honestly, I don't think that that is what the author had in his mind at all when he was saying this. I think he was saying it more from a heartfelt place of saying, no, 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 no. It's not about just getting you to be in church all of the time. No, 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 no. It's not about just making sure that you're a bum on the seat. No, 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 no. It's not about building crowds and huge gatherings so that we make names of churches and people look good. No, 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 no. It's because if you're not part of a local community of followers of Christ, you might not make it on your own. It's easier for you to stop and quit when you haven't got an army of brothers and sisters around you championing you. And Arnie was saying, look, if you're not part of a church, you're never gonna be able to do the one thing that Jesus valued so much before He went. And He said, look, you've gotta love one another. It's not just about you staying at home and just trusting in God and believing in God. How are you gonna love one another if you're never in an environment around one another? So when it comes to church not being important, Jesus didn't ever say that. Because the way in which you and I commit today to love one another really is the way that people who do not know Christ will know that you follow Christ. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. 